disciples on Sunday is the same God who wants to do big things in our lives tonight. Amen. And we are thankful for what God has done for us on Sunday. Um, I'm thankful for uh, this past Sunday. What a sweet, sweet spirit was in this place uh, last Sunday, just all day long. We thank, we thank the Lord for that. How many of you know, without God's presence and power, nothing we do will ever be effective? What we need above everything else is the presence of power of God at work in our midst. And we saw that happen right here Sunday. We saw somebody come to know Jesus as their personal Savior in this place. And uh, that is so special, so, so amazing to be a part of what God is doing in the hearts and lives of, uh, of people today. And, but I'm, I'm thankful that you know God's not hindered by the day of the week. He's ready to speak to us tonight. He's ready, willing, and able to do for us tonight what needs doing. If we're ready um, to listen, he's ready to speak. He's ready to work in our lives, and I am so thankful for that. Now, we are going to be looking at the fourth letter in the series of seven letters to the churches in Asia. Um, the letter to the church at Thyatira, and it starts in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 29. Now before we look at these verses, this text that we're going to be studying tonight, I do want to give to you two truths concerning the letters that are written. We've talked about this before, but to lay the groundwork, I feel as though uh, we need to again mention that these are seven letters to seven literal churches. We must understand that. We must realize that. These churches that John was writing to by the power of God were alive and well um, when he wrote this blessed book on the Isle of Patmos. But these are also, uh, this is also not just what Jesus said to the church then, but also what Jesus is saying to the church today. See, what I want you to know and realize tonight that it's not, this is not what Jesus, just what he has said, but it's what he is saying to us this evening, to the church as a whole. This evening, uh, these letters not only represent the seven literal churches of that day, but they also represent what Christ is said to the church as a whole throughout all the church age. Um, even right here tonight, this word that we're about to read and study is relevant for us. If you believe God's word is real, say amen. amen. If you believe God's word is relevant for us today, say amen. Now we saw that in these three previous letters that we've studied. When we studied the church, the letter to the church at Ephesus, we saw that it was the church that had lost their first love. Well, I can't think of nothing more relevant than for today's church than to preach about losing your first love. We see that throughout the church today, maybe like never before. Well, uh, we looked at the church at Smyrna, the persecuted church. Well, today, um, the church as a whole is suffering more persecution than ever before. More Christians are dying for their faith today than ever before in the history of the church. So I would say a letter to the persecuted church was relevant for the church today. We looked last week at the church at Pergamos, the compromising church. Well, if there's ever been a time there needs to be a message preached about the church compromising uh, with a lost and dying world, it's today. We see that happening today. So the words that we're reading is not just what Jesus has said, but what Jesus is saying Unto his church, it is relevant for us right here this evening. 
Now, the same is true for the church uh, the, uh, at, at Thyatira, this letter that's written in Revelations 2, starting with the 18th verse. Let's read together um, these verses, then we're going to come back and look at it. Listen to what he says. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. He said, I know your works and your charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Jesus praises this church. Verse 20. Notwithstanding of a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed Unto idols. He goes on to say in verse 21, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts, and will give unto every one of you according to your works." But unto you I say, unto them that rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. He says in verse 25, But that which ye have already hold fast till I come, and he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, I will give him power over the nations, and shall rule them with a rod of iron, and as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken in shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. If I was going to entitle my message tonight, on the letter to the church at Thyatira, I would entitle it this, Jesus or Jezebel. How many of you understand we've got to make a choice? We've got to make a choice who we're going to follow. We're going to follow Jesus or we're going to follow Jezebel. Or we're going to stand for Jesus or we're going to stand with Jezebel. That's a decision we must make just like this church had to make it. Let us pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you for these people that are here. Lord, I'm so thankful that you've given me this opportunity and privilege of standing before your people with an open Bible. And Lord, I'm praying right now by your power, would you speak to me, speak through me, fill me up, pour me out. Use me tonight, Lord, as your vessel so that I might preach your truth unto those uh, that are in this building tonight. God, I can do nothing without you, but I know all things are possible through you. So Lord, this evening, would you speak to me exactly what we all stand in need of. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Now the first thing that we need to notice here in the 18th verse is the description of the Lord Jesus uh, that really he gives of himself. He says in verse 18, and the angel of the church in Thyatira, now we've said before that the angel that he's writing to is the messenger to the church at Thyatira. That's the Greek word there for angel. It means uh, the messenger. Now the messenger of the church is the pastor of the church. So he's writing this letter, just like all the other letters prior to this, unto the pastor of the church at Thyatira. He says, these things saith the Son of God. How, look how he describes himself, his description. Who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. 
Now, what does it mean when Jesus said, my eyes, they're like a flame of fire? Well, to understand what that uh, means concerning his eyes, we need to see what a fire does. Now, how many of you know, if there's one thing I know about a fire, uh, a fire penetrates. Isn't that the truth? If there's one thing that I love doing, I've told you this many times before, I love sitting around a fire. I go out to my fire pit at my house. That's my alone place. That's where I, uh, I, I go out and, and, and get along with the Lord and get along with myself. Amen. And, uh, and I'll sit around that fire many times. But one thing I've noticed about a fire, anything you throw in it before long, that fire will penetrate it. Anything. Um, I'm telling you, if you uh, had this cup and you threw it in the fire, uh, before long, that fire would penetrate this cup. You say, well, brother, that's easy. That's just a styrofoam cup. And, and, and it's true. It wouldn't take long. That would be penetrated very quickly. It would be gone before you know it. It'd just burn plumb up. But you can even take this cup and you can throw it in the fire. And the longer you leave it in there, you may throw this in the fire, but before you know it, that fire is going to be in this. It will penetrate this cup, even this stainless steel cup, it penetrates everything. So what is Jesus saying? I think really what he's talking about is I can see right through you. I've got eyes that can look down to the deepest, darkest recesses of your soul. Now, how many know, folks, if Jesus said it to his church in that day, it's still true today. See, he has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Jesus does not change. He still has eyes like a flame of fire. And I'm going to tell you, he's still looking at his church. Now, I want you to know, just like he saw right through them, he sees right through and into us. What I'm trying to tell you is, he knows you better than you know you. And he knows me better than I know me. He can look down into the deepest, darkest recesses of our soul and know what we do that's right, and he knows what we do that's wrong. I'm trying to let you know tonight, I can hide from you, and you can hide from me. But I want you to know, none of us can hide from the Lord Jesus. He sees it all. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to him? He already knows it all. He knows everything about you. He knows what you do. And he knows why you do what you do. And so he says to the church at Thyatira, he says, my eyes are like a flame of fire. They are able to penetrate even to the deepest, darkest recesses of your soul. Jesus knows everything about us. He knows it all. Then he says something else about himself in his description. He says, not only do I got eyes like a flame of fire, but he says, I've got feet like fine brass. Now, we've said this before in our study in Revelation, that any time you see brass in the Word of God, it's a symbol of judgment. So let me tell you what I believe Jesus is saying. I believe he's saying, I'm seeing right into your heart. I know what you do. You can't hide from me. I know you better than you know yourself. And I am the one who knows you better than anybody else knows you. And I am the one who is standing in judgment of what you're doing, whether it be right or whether it be wrong. Now, folks, again, the same is true for his church today. Jesus not only stands in judgment of Thyatira, he stands in judgment of Mount Zion. He not only stands in judgment of the churches in that day, he stands in judgment of churches today. He looks into his church and he stands in judgment whether they're doing what is right or whether they're doing what is wrong. He looks at what they are doing, what they're not doing, and for what reason. So that's the description of Jesus. Then notice in verse number 19, the disclosure of the church. He gives us everything about this church. He gives us the good, he gives us the bad, then he gives us the ugly. 
ugly. And we're going to look at all three of them. Now look at the good. This is what he says in verse 19. I know your works. He says, I know your charity. And I know your service and faith and thy patience. And I, look what he says in the last part of this verse. And thy works and the last to be more than the first. There's three things Jesus makes clear concerning the good things this church is doing. First of all, he says this is a going church. He says, I know your works. Folks, this was not a church that was standing or sitting still. This was not a church that had become stagnant. Do you remember me preaching to you about David and Goliath and their battle a few weeks ago and we warned against being stagnant and we said when you get stagnant, usually what happens is you sit and you sour. Amen. This, just, this was a church that, that wasn't sitting and they hadn't soured. They wasn't stagnant. They wasn't standing still. They were moving forward for the things of God. They were a working church. They were a going church. He said, I know your works. Not only did you need to see it was a going church, but it was also a glowing church. Look what it says in the next part of that verse. He said, I know your works. I know your charity. Now the word charity there means love. How many of you know it is possible for you to do the right thing for the wrong reason? And a lot of times that happens in the church. We can do good stuff for the wrong reason, but that's not true of the church at Thyatira. They were doing good works. They were a going church. But what they were doing them for the right reason, they were a glowing church. They were doing what they were doing in love. See, what we do should not just be done out of obligation. Amen? I want you to understand and know um, I, I, I do what I do, not just because I'm obligated to do it, because I love Jesus and love people. Amen? And that's what we must do. If we're going to be pleasing unto God. But from time to time, it's easy in the church for us to even do good things and forget all the reason why we're doing them. Hey, I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you can get in the flesh and serve for the wrong reasons. Do good stuff for the wrong reasons. I remember one time I preached in anger. I mean, I just got mad and I decided, dead gum, and I'm just let them have it. And you know what God did? He shut me up and set me down and chastised me greatly and let me know it was not my job to convict anybody. And it's not my job to change anybody. It's my job to speak truth in love and let Him do the changing. See, I was doing some good stuff. I was preaching truth right from the Word of God. But I wasn't using it uh, as, as something to help somebody but to hurt somebody. I'd use the Word of God for a whipping post. That's wrong. You can do good things for the right re for the wrong for the wrong reason, but that was not the church at Thyatira. This was a great church. Jesus praised them for a lot of things. He said, "You're doing a lot of stuff, and you're doing them out of love." I know you works. You're a going church, but I know your love. You're a glowing church. We are called to be lights in a dark world. Can you say Amen? amen. That's what the church is, and the best way I know. To be a light in this dark world is to walk in love. It's to live in love. It's to speak the truth in love. It's to be the hands and feet of Jesus and reach out to people in love. Can you say amen to that? Amen. To meet people where they are, and that's what this church was doing. There was a going church. There were a glowing church. But now I want you to know something else. They were a growing church. Look at the last part of this verse. Listen to what it says. I love this. And the works, the last 
are better than the first. Do you see that? They were growing in good deeds. That, that, listen, that they were continually growing and, and doing good unto others. In serving others. How many of you know we serve God by serving others? We, we got something we like to say around here. We love God and we love people. We serve God and we serve people. We encounter God and we encounter people. That's what this church was doing. I'm telling you. They were growing in the things of God. They were growing in their service unto the Lord. And I want you to know something. Jesus praised them for it. They were increasing in their good works. Folks, if there's one thing I want Jesus to say of Mount Zion Baptist Church is that we are a working church, a going church. Can you say amen to that? I want him to say of us that we are a glowing church or a loving church. I want him to say of us we are a growing church, increasing in our good works. The Bible says it like this in Matthew 5, 17. Let, let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let it be said of us. We're going, we're glowing, and we're growing. Just like Thyatira. He praised this church greatly. It was a fantastic church. But then he says something else. He says, I got a few things against you. He gives them the good, but then he talks about the bad. Anytime Jesus said, I've got something against you, that's a bad thing. He says, notwithstanding. That's a pretty big word. I heard a story one time about a teacher who asked a little boy in her class to define notwithstanding. And he said, well, teacher, I really don't know what that means. I'll have to think about that. She said, well, when you think about it, just use it in a sentence. And he said, well, I'll think about it. And so he thought about it and he thought about it and he thought about it. And uh, finally he looked up at her and he said, teacher, I believe I've got it. She said, all right, use it in a sentence. He said, well, I wore out the seat of my pants, but notwithstanding. Notwithstanding is a big word. But really all it means is I've got something to talk to you about. He said, I've got a few things against you. Look what he says. A few things. He says, first of all, thou sufferest the woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things that are offered unto idols. Now, the, he's gave us the good. He says that it's a going church, it's a glowing church, it's a growing church. He gave us the bad. He's got some things against them. And we said anything, Jesus, anytime Jesus said he's got something against you, that's a bad thing. But then he gives us the ugly. He says, you know what you're doing? You're suffering this woman called Jezebel. See, evidently, there was a woman there, according to Scripture, that was teaching in the church a false doctrine. There was a woman there that was not only teaching in the church a false doctrine, but she was also living um, a life that was unpleasing unto God, morally speaking. This woman was teaching in error theologically and living in error morally. Now, when you have someone teaching in error theologically and living in error morally, and it is tolerated and accepted, that will always bring death to a living church. Now let me tell you something that you hear preached from the, from the rooftops today. 
You hear it everywhere. I hear it everywhere continually over and over and over again. I'm always hearing the word tolerance. How about you? We hear that continuously. Now, let me ask you a question. And I want you to be thinking about this as we go through uh, this verse of Scripture. I want you to think about this. Answer this question within yourself. Is it needful to be narrow-minded? Is it needful to be narrow-minded? Now, when we talk about tolerance, let me tell you what most people say. Uh, they say tolerance, but they don't mean tolerance. They mean acceptance. Are you hearing me? As a matter of fact, I have come to find out when people say you need to tolerate um, uh, what I believe and how I live, um, they're not actually asking for tolerance. They just want me to accept what they're doing. Because the truth is, they already have tolerance. How many of you understand and know, folks, I can tolerate someone who believes differently than I do. I can tolerate someone who lives differently than I do. And I'll go a step further. Not only can I tolerate them, but I can love them with the love of Jesus and share with them the love of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, that's what we should be doing, sharing the love of Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. But the truth is, they're not after tolerance. What they want is acceptance. And there's, that, that is two very, very different things. I want you to know I can tolerate someone, but just because I tolerate them does not mean I accept what they believe is right or how they live as right. And so I want you to know as the children of God, and, and, and to, to a degree, we are called to be narrow-minded. See, what we agree with and what we accept must be according to what God's Word says. Now that is going to seem very narrow-minded to a lot of people. But I'm going to tell you it's needful for us and truly it's needful for them. For if we're not narrow-minded, they'll never see their wrong. Amen? If we don't stand for truth, how are they going to know the difference between what is right, what is wrong, what is the truth, and what is a lie? Somebody has to stand on what God's Word says as His absolute truth. So we must be narrow-minded to a degree. This church had fell into the trap of tolerating and accepting sin and just letting it go. And anytime you do that in the body of Christ, I can promise you it will bring death to a living church. And that's what Jesus is wanting here. Folks, I want you to know something. We must stand on what God says it's not always going to be popular. A lot of people's going to call you narrow-minded when you try to do it. But it's worth it. Because we're not here to please people. We're here to please Jesus. We live in a world today where people want to talk about a seeker-friendly church. Let me share something with you. I don't want a seeker-friendly church. I want a Jesus-friendly church. I don't want to lower the standard of the church so that lost people can feel comfortable in living in their sin and going to a devil's hell. 
I don't want to dumb down the gospel or the truth of what God says to the point that it don't mean anything to those who hear it. But that is exactly what's happening in our world today. And I think to a large degree, that's what was happening at Thyatira. I mean, if somebody would have come and said, you know what, I don't think you should let uh, this woman called Jezebel, this woman that's teaching um, in error theologically or living in error morally speaking, I don't think you ought to let her be in leadership in your church. Somebody would have probably said, well, who are we to judge? I mean, listen, we've all got sin problems. They would have probably said something like, it's pretty unchristian for us to stand up against this one that's living in error. Let me share something with you. It's unchristian not to stand up against it. According to the word of God. And let me make very plain to you. We all do have sin. We talked about that Sunday. We all certainly need the grace of God. I'll put myself at the top of the list and let you know I need God's grace today just like the day he saved me. I'll need God's grace and mercy tomorrow just like I needed it today. But we have got to be very, very, very careful what we allow in our church in leadership positions. There needs to be a standard. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. They were allowing somebody that was teaching in error theologically and living in error morally to just keep on keeping on and they tolerated it and accepted it. Should not be in the church. How do we deal with theological and moral error according to the word of God? Well, let's look at that. First of all, we need to see the source of the error. Look down with me at verse number 20. It says that you suffered that woman Jezebel. So evidently the source of the error is the woman the word of God calls Jezebel. And I want you to know something. I don't think this woman, her act, I don't think her actual name was Jezebel. I think it's symbolic. I think the Lord is trying to say to us, the same spirit that was in Jezebel in the Old Testament dwelled in this woman in the New Testament. Amen? It's just like if I said to you, that man over there, well, he's a Judas. Well, you would know exactly what I'm saying, wouldn't you? You would know that that man's a betrayer. You'd know that that one is uh, going to say one thing, do another. Right? So what God is telling us, this woman had the Jezebel spirit. Now what was Jezebel in the Old Testament? Well, she was married to King Ahab who was then king of Israel. Um, she was the daughter of a pagan king. She imported pagan philosophies into Israel. She was a worshiper of Baal. As a matter of fact, she mixed the worship of Baal with the worship of Jehovah. And God was very displeased with his people. He was very displeased with Ahab. Ahab was under the thumb of Jezebel. In the book of uh, 2 Kings, it says of, of uh, uh, Jezebel that she was the one who painted her face. I love what Dr. Adrian Rogers said concerning uh, Jezebel. He said that Jezebel was the one who spent half the day putting on her war paint and the other half on the war path. <laughs> that's pretty good. And that's exactly what she did. She was at war with anything that was godly. She came against God's man and she came against God's message continually. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've got someone who's always coming against God's purpose, always coming against God's people, always throwing a monkey wrench in everything God is trying to do and wanting to do, that person has got a problem. I'm going to tell you. 
The Jezebel spirit is alive and well today, I can promise you. I promise you. This woman had a terrible character. The name Jezebel says a mouthful. We need to see her character, but we also need to see her call. It says there that she calls herself a prophetess or a preacher. Let me share something with you. If this woman is calling herself a preacher, it is not a divine calling. God has not appointed her. She has appointed herself. Do you know the Bible says it like this? In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 12, that a woman should not usurp authority over man or teach a man. That means a woman should not put herself in the place of pastor teacher. That's not God's plan. Now ladies, I want to tell you something. You are in no way, shape, form, or fashion inferior to a man, but you're not the same as a man. You're equal as far as spiritual things go, but you're not sane. God has set it up this way because that's the way he wants it. I didn't say it. God says it. And when God says that a man ought to be the pastor of a church, that's what he means. But this woman had set herself up to be leader in the church, preacher, pastor, teacher in the church, and no one stood up against it. And the Bible says Jesus hated it. I want to tell you something. We ought to love what Jesus loves. Can you say amen to that? Amen. But we also ought to hate what Jesus hates. We also need to see not only the source of the error, but how serious the error was. Look at the next part, or the last part, excuse me, of verse uh, number 20. It says, she calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, she is leading my servants astray. She is doing what is contrary to my will in my church. And folks, he sees that as a very, very serious thing. He says that she causes them to commit fornication and to eat things that are sacrificed unto idols. Now, I don't think he's actually saying here this is literal physical fornication. What I think he's talking about is spiritual fornication. How do you understand that when we uh, uh, place our faith in the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that we are then married to Christ. We've studied that many times when we looked in the book of Ephesians. God compares our relationship to Jesus at, like a marital relationship. And, and so what I believe the Bible is talking about here in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20 is that this woman is causing the children of God to go after false gods, to go in a, in a way that's contrary to what, who God is and what God says. Very serious thing. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1 in verse number 8 speaks of those who teach in error, who are in error theologically speaking. Listen to what he says. In the book of Galatians, I love this. He says it pretty plain, um, like anybody could understand it. He tells us, But thou 
But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul says if you hear anybody else sharing a gospel, sharing what God's word says and it don't line up uh, with what is in the Bible, then you let that one be accursed. You put him away. Don't have anything to do with them. And we ought to hold true to that today. That's why I encourage you. Folks, when you come to the house of God for preaching, you come to the house of God for uh, Sunday school, when you come to this place for Bible study, bring your Bibles. Make sure what's being said to you is according to what God's Word says. I want you to do that. I welcome you to do that. We need to do that. He says if they're teaching in theological, if they're in error theologically speaking, you ought to let them be accursed. Don't have anything to do with them. In Titus chapter 3 and verse number 10, he says that if they're in error morally speaking, to put them away. See what's happening in Thyatira, it was that they were tolerating things and letting things in that they should have put out. Stuff that's wrong. God cannot and will not bless that in his church. This is a very, very serious error. But it was also very stubborn. This woman was very, very stubborn. Look with me in Revelation chapter 2. Down to verse number 21. This is what Jesus says here. He says, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. How many of you know that Jesus would... um, Uh, would rather give us pardon instead of give us punishment. He would rather forgive us than bring judgment upon us. And what is so good, it was the same with this woman that he himself called Jezebel. It's a wicked woman. But he was willing to allow her to repent before he brought judgment. But she chose not to because of her stubbornness. Now, a lot hadn't changed in the church today. Usually people with this kind of spirit, they ain't going to repent. They don't want to repent. They're going to do what they want, when they want, how they want. It's not about what God wants. It's what they want. If they don't get what they want, that Jezebel spirit um, is going to really show up. There was a stubbornness in the air. Look at verse number 22 there. And this is what it tells us. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. There's a stubbornness in verse 21, but there's a spread in verses 22 and 23. He talks about others who follow along with her in her deeds. Look at verse 23. And I will kill her children. Who are her children? Those are the ones she's reproduced. Amen. This woman with this Jezebel spirit who's leading people astray, those ones who have followed after her and became like she is, that's her children, spiritually speaking. And he says, I'm going to bring death upon that. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Listen to me, folks. Judgment always comes according to works. It's important that we see that. There was a spread in the era, but there was also a sentence 
in the error. He said that he would bring death to them. He would bring great tribulation to them. If you look back in the Old Testament at Jezebel uh, when she was judged by God then, the Bible says she fell out of a, a great window and what happened? The dogs ate her carcass. God brought judgment upon her. God also brought judgment upon um, the priests of Baal that followed Jezebel. If you remember, Elijah killed them on Mount Carmel. There was sentence that came from Jesus because of wicked deeds. He goes on and says in verse 25, But that which you have already hold fast till I come. What's he saying? Those of you who have, who have placed your faith in me, those of you who know the truth, hold fast till I come. He makes it even more plain in verse 24. Look what he says. But unto you I say, and into the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. What doctrine? The doctrine of Jezebel. He says, if you don't have the doctrine of Jezebel, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon thee none other burden. He said, if you're not a part of this, I'm not speaking to you. Amen? If you're not went the way of Jezebel, you just keep doing what you're doing. He don't lump them all into one thing. He gives those due um, what, what, what they're due. Amen? Verse 26 says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Do you know that we will certainly be held accountable for what we hear? If we've heard it, then we'll be held accountable for it. Do you know also I believe that we'll be held accountable for what we could have heard if we'd have listened? Jesus said, I'm ready to speak to those who have ears and are ready to listen. Wow. What does Thyatira mean for us? Folks, let us never accept immorality. Let us never Never accept theological error and just look past it as if nothing's going on. We must deal with that. Do we speak truth? Yes, we speak it in love. We extend God's grace, but we cannot let the world, or excuse me, the church become more like the world than vice versa. I think that's the message here. We've got to stand strong in the faith. Is it needful to be narrow-minded? Absolutely. Absolutely. We must look at the world through the lens of Scripture. What's God say about it? And that's what we've got to stand on. Extend grace? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you've got to remember, a lot of this, what he's talking about here, is leadership in the church. This woman held a position of leadership, and he says she shouldn't have. We need to take note of it. It's relevant for us today. 
Anybody got anything else, comments or questions before we go any further? Absolutely. 